Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. Faithfulness. What is faithfulness? What does it mean to keep the faith? What is faith? Sure, faith is believing in what we can't see, trusting in the evidence that's there even when we don't have eyes to see what's there. But how do you maintain faithfulness when everything is against you, when the odds are stacked against you, when it seems like all hope is lost, how do you maintain faithfulness in spite of your circumstances? I've mentioned this illustration before, but it's by uh, an experience by one of our late senators by the name of Mark Hatfield, who when he was alive and Mother Teresa was still doing her work in Calcutta, India, um, he went over to visit uh, what's called, what was called at the time, the House of the Dying. Uh, Mother Teresa's vision and mission in life was to bring dignity to the lives of those who, for all intents and purposes, the rest of society in India had cast aside and it basically left to die alone. She wanted to bring dignity to those who were created in the image of God. And so Mark Hatfield goes over to see this, and he sees all of these sick bodies, people coughing and lying in distress in these cots and beds, but being cared for by Mother Teresa and the other nuns in the sisterhood, if you will, that were with her. And at one point in time in his walk with her through the facility and looking at different people dying, He asked her this question, how can you maintain such hope in a place like this without being crushed with the devastation of sickness and death? How how can you get through this? And she poignantly turns the short little lady square in the eyes and says to him, oh my dear, Mark Hatfield, we were not called to be successful, we're called to be faithful. In this world, success looks different to every person. The world tells you what success is, but by the measurement of God's kingdom, success is so much different. What do you do when you have the world warring against your faith? Do you lose your faith? When the world looks at you and says, why don't you just give up, curse God and die like Job's wife did in the Old Testament whenever he was facing trials and troubles and loss of many kinds. When the world tells us all of that, why why don't we just give up? You know the sad state of affairs in our culture is that suicide rates keep going up. Especially among Christian communities. The story of a gentleman who was an associate pastor at a church just this past week who committed suicide. He was the mental health 
advocate on their staff. Struggled with depression all of his life, and he took his life on the eve of suicide awareness prevention. Left behind two young children and a wife. Another pastor, maybe even a couple months ago at this point, also battling with depression most of his life, took his own life, leaving behind kids and a wife. How, how do you get so hopeless? How do, how do you get to the point where it seems like there's nothing else to live for? I've not had those struggles. I've had struggles with depression. It's hard not to when you're in my role. Because you see the plight of the world compared to the kingdom of God, and you know the answer lies within the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ, but the rest of the world seems to reject it. And you feel hopeless sometimes standing in my role. It's like reaching out to help somebody, a drowning victim, and they're saying, no, 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 leave me alone. We come up on the story of Joseph today. You know where Joseph is? Where did we leave him last week? He's in prison. Why is he in prison? Well, if you remember the story, Potiphar's wife, Potiphar was his boss. Potiphar's wife thought Joseph was a really handsome man. She began to lust after him and want to sleep with him. She tried to trap him multiple different times, begging him to sleep with her. And he kept saying, no, 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 I can't do this. I'm not going to do this. I can't do this to my master, but I definitely won't do this to my Lord in heaven. So she traps him in a room, grabs him by the cloak to not let him go, somehow does this magic trip escape artist type thing, and she's left holding his cloak while he runs away, to which point she screams out, he tried to rape me. And the servants of the house come. And then Potiphar comes home, finds out from his wife that Joseph supposedly tried to rape her, and so he has him thrown in jail. Joseph's in jail. He begins to succeed in jail. How do you succeed in jail? There are ways. He gained the favor of the jailer because of Joseph's ability to survive and thrive in spite of his circumstances. He grows to this point in the jail to where the jailer basically says, hey, you take charge of all the prison and I'll just do what I do best, sit down and take naps. Actually, it's not what it says. But he basically said, Joseph, you take care of everything, I trust you. And so he was the head of all the prisoners as the head prisoner, if you will. <clears throat> While there, there are two guys in the prison. We don't know their names, we just know they're the baker and the cupbearer to the king. They've been thrown in jail. Don't know if it was burnt bread the baker gave, moldy bread, we're not sure exactly what happened, but he finds himself in prison alongside Joseph. The cupbearer, 
We don't know if he accidentally stumbled and fell and tripped and poured a cup of wine all over Pharaoh. We're not, or we're not really sure what happened. But what we do know is the cupbearer and the baker in prison next to Joseph. They started having these really funky dreams. You ever had a bad dream? Okay. I've been having some funky dreams the past two days. I'm not going to tell you what they were or are. Just mind you, they're funky. And if any of you can interpret those dreams, I would love to talk with you afterwards. <laughs> Joseph said, uh, oh, only the Lord can interpret dreams to the cupbearer and the baker. Well, tell me what, uh, tell me what your dreams are. And the cupbearer says, well, here's the dream I had. I'm out in the and there are clusters of grapes. There's actually three clusters of grapes hanging from this vine. I grab those three cr clusters of grapes. I squeeze them into the cup, and I, I offer the cup to the king. Okay, well, here's the interpretation of that dream. Um, in three days, you're going to be restored back to your position as cupbearer to the king, and everything's going to be fine. And the baker overhearing this says, oh, sweet. My dream's got to be just as good as his. And so he says, I had a dream, and here's what it was. I had a basket on my head. <laughs> that was normal. You carry baskets on your Some societies still do that. And I had three white pastries up there. And these birds just flocked to the basket on my head and started pecking away at my bread. That's a paraphrase. And <laughs> Joseph says, oh, well, here's the meaning of yours. Uh, you'll get out of prison in three days and be impaled on a pole. Good luck to you. That's really what he said. I read it again this morning just to make sure. And it's almost like he didn't, I'm sure he was soft about it. You know, I, you sure you want to hear this? Oh, no, no, no. The cupbearer was good. You tell me. I'm sure it's going to be great. Yeah, you'll be impaled on a pole and the birds will peck away at your flesh. Hey, it's in the Bible. Don't groan at me. Just imagery. The Bible is full of imagery. You know what he told the cupbearer? Joseph said, hey, when you're restored back to your position, do me a favor. Can you tell the king, the Pharaoh, that <laughs> this is my plight? I've been put in here unfairly. I didn't do anything wrong. And it goes all the way back to my brother's long story. If you could just go before the king and tell him what's going on with me, and maybe he will have mercy and let me out of jail. Could you do that for me? And the cupbearer, I'm sure, is like, yeah, 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 that'll be cool, whatever. So the cupbearer is restored back. And then two years later, he remembers Joseph. Two years, yeah. And here's how he remembers Joseph. So the Pharaoh was awoken in the middle of the night with a dream. He goes back to sleep. He's awoken with another dream, and he's freaking out. And he calls all of his wise men, his counsel to his side, and says, here's the dreams that I had. All right, so it's like this. There was, this, there was these seven skinny cows and these seven fat cows. And for whatever reason, the seven skinny cows ate the seven fat cows, and they stayed skinny. And then there were these, I, I went back to sleep, I woke up again, or I went back to sleep, dreamed again, and I woke up, but here's the dream the second time around. There are seven plump heads of grain and seven really skinny, scrawny heads of grain, and the seven scrawny heads of grain ate up the seven plump heads of grain. I don't get it. Well, his counsel and his wise men said, well, we don't get it either. 
And then the cupbearer's overhearing this, you know, squeezing his grapes, doing whatever he needs to do. And he hands the cup to the king, and it's like he's, <laughs> and he remembers, oh, Joseph. Two years have gone by, and he remembers Joseph. There was a guy in prison. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I forgot about this. There was a guy in prison. His name is Joseph. He interpreted a dream that I had, and it came true. And he interpreted the baker's dream. It came true, too. You remember how that happened. And so Pharaoh calls for Joseph. He tells Joseph the dreams, and Joseph tells him the meaning of the dreams. And here are the meaning of the dreams. There are going to be seven years of famine in the land and seven years of bumper crops. The seven years of bumper crops will come first. The seven years of famine will come second. So there'll be 14 years in all. Here's what you should do. You need to start storing away food from the bumper crops within seven years in granaries so that in the seven years of famine, we'll have enough food to eat and maybe even enough to feed the other nations because it's not just going to hit us. And Pharaoh said, huh, all right, you're in charge. And overnight, instantaneously, Joseph goes from being a prisoner to being second in command in Egypt. Only the Pharaoh has more power than him. Rags to riches story right there. And this is where we pick up his story today. Joseph's suggestions in verse 37 of Genesis 41. Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the spirit of God? They knew that Joseph was a Hebrew and that the Hebrews' God was Yahweh. They worshiped many other gods in Egypt, but Pharaoh is referring to Joseph's God. Is there anybody else filled with the spirit of God like he is? that he can interpret the dream like this. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of these dreams to you, clearly no one else has, is as intelligent or as wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you, even Potiphar and Potiphar's wife. Isn't that fun? Only I sitting on my throne will have the rank, a rank higher than yours. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. The Pharaoh, then Pharaoh removed his signet ring. Now this is significant. This is a wedding ring. It signifies that I am married to a lovely woman by the name of Sarah Lee. No one else holds that honor in my life. That sounds weird. I shouldn't have said it that way. She holds the special place in my life. This signifies... Yeah, talk to me afterwards. Yeah, I... I sometimes stumble over my words. This ring signifies that I am wed, I am married, I am off the market, ladies. <laughs> and they're like, thank goodness. So Pharaoh then removes his signet ring. You know what his signet ring is? It's basically his signature ring. Whatever he stamps with that ring is as if the Pharaoh himself is signing the paperwork. So this is what happens. Joseph is Pharaoh's proxy. He's able to sign any legal document in the whole land. 
He can have anybody executed he wants to for whatever reason he wants to. He can build himself a mansion and take as much money as he wants to. He has all the authority and all the power that Pharaoh has. Pharaoh is the only one that is more powerful than him. Does this make sense? Signet ring taken off his own finger and given to Joseph. He dressed him in fine linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. He had some bling before bling was a thing. Thank you, I'm here all week. Then he had Joseph ride the chariot reserved for his second in command. And wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, kneel down. I want you to think of where Joseph was just moments earlier in a prison, being faithful when all hope seemed lost. Kneel down. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all Egypt. And Pharaoh said to him, I am Pharaoh, but no one will lift a hand or a foot in the entire land of Egypt without your approval. Then Pharaoh gave Joseph a new Egyptian name, Zephanath Paneah. Say that three times fast. He also gave him a wife whose name was Asenath. She was the daughter of Potipharah, no relation to Potiphar, the priest of On. So Joseph took charge of the entire land of Egypt. He was 30 years old when he began serving the court of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. How old was he when he got sold into slavery by his brothers? 17. How many years had he been captive in Egypt? A long time. Think of, uh, think of being sold into slavery by your brothers. Your father thinks you're dead. Your mother thinks you're dead. But you're off in some country in slavery, going through all of this chaotic cycle of bondage, being in jail, being falsely accused. 13 years. And you get a call from God. <laughs> that was perfectly timed. I, I love it. In case you didn't hear, there was a phone that went off down here. <clears throat> okay, let me get back on track here. 13 years in bondage and slavery. You're in a jail. The cupbearer's forgotten you. You're in there two years. Where's your hope level on your hope meter? Where are you? Some of you may be way up here because you know a God who can set captives free. But my guess is those of you who are yet still believers in God that fall on hard times sometimes get frustrated, disgruntled, and your faithfulness to God wanes. Because if God truly was God, if he was truly all-powerful, if he was truly all-loving and he knew everything about you, then he obviously knows how you've been so unfairly treated by everybody in your life that he must be against you too so if everybody and God is against you, is there any hope left in your life? 
People have committed suicide for lesser infractions, for lesser things. People have turned their backs on God for lesser issues. And yet here we have Joseph who in every endeavor, no matter where he is, no matter what is stacked against him, he makes the best out of it. It's almost as if he's saying, you know, God, I don't know what you're doing here. I know what I'm doing. I know I have done nothing to receive this unfair treatment, but I don't know what you're doing, but I know you're there and I trust you. I don't know why this keeps happening to me over and over again, but I'm going to keep pressing in and I'm going to keep pressing on because I don't care what's going on in my life. I care what you're doing through my life. And so I'm going to continue to be faithful in spite of my circumstances. Verse 47, as predicted for seven years, the land produced bumper crops. They had more grain than they knew what to do with. They were using what they needed and storing the rest away in granaries. And archaeological discoveries actually saw a documentary on this not too long ago. They think they found the granaries where Joseph had the grain stored. Now, they won't say it's where Joseph had the grain stored, but they found these huge granaries in Egypt, in ancient Egypt. I mean, huge, huge granaries. Why would they need such large granaries to store the grain? Why would they need that? And they question the archaeologists, like, these are huge. I mean, the population at the time hadn't, I mean, surely wasn't that great. Why would they need these? Well, there's a biblical story that's actually not fictional that talks about this guy by the name of Joseph, and he had granaries built. Oh! And so they had bumper crops in Egypt, and they stored the grain from the surrounding fields in the cities. He piled up huge amounts of grain like sand on the seashore. Finally, he stopped keeping records because there was too much to measure. There, were not, there was not enough papyrus, paper, to log all of this. Um, we, we used to think trillion was an astronomical number back in the 80s. <laughs> in the 90s, it started getting closer. Billions were pretty big in my day. And now trillion, what are we looking to, to next? Quadrillion? That's where we're going next. Would we keep paperwork for the quadrillions at this point in time? You're like, no, that just seems like a fictional number. So he's doing the same thing. He's like, ah, we got enough. We got more than we need. During this time, before the first of the famine years, two sons were born to Joseph and his wife, Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, the priest of On. Joseph named his older son Manasseh. Huh, that sounds familiar if you read on in the Old Testament. And for he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Joseph named his second son Ephraim. For he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my grief. 
at the last seven years of bumper crops throughout the land of Egypt as it came to an end. Then seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had predicted. The famine also struck the surrounding countries, but throughout Egypt there was plenty of food. Eventually, however, the famine spread throughout the land of Egypt as well. And when the people cried out to Pharaoh for food, he told them, go to Joseph, do whatever he tells you. He's like, I don't, I've got food on my table. I don't want to deal with your food issues. Go to Joseph. He's got it all figured out. So with severe famine everywhere, Joseph opened up the storehouses and distributed grain to the Egyptians for the famine was severe throughout the land of Egypt. And the people from all around came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe throughout the world. Here's a key point really quickly this morning. It's this, faithfulness, not bitterness, is always rewarded. And I can already hear some of you arguing in your minds against me right now. I've been faithful, Brandon. I've not been rewarded yet. I've been faithful. I've not given up. But God's not been faithful to me, hasn't he? Is the fact that you have breath to breathe and life to live a blessing? Some of you say, no, it's a curse because I wouldn't want to live the life I'm living now. If I had to choose it, it wouldn't be this life. But how much do we truly take for granted? Really? Are there people that have it worse off than we do? We had a team that stood up here last week and talked to us about a place called Uganda. Living, members of about, you know, 10 people living in a shack eight foot by eight foot in some circumstances on dirt floors, unable to pay $28 a month for rent. It's pretty bad. Not enough food to eat. We can compare ourselves to any number of people. But I don't see anything biblical about doing the comparison game, do you? I don't. In every situation Joseph found himself in, he didn't give up. He didn't lose hope. He didn't lose faith. See, I think we have the story of Joseph to show us what it's like to live a life of faith. Joseph, when he was in jail, <clears throat> his faithfulness in prison was rewarded by the jailer by placing him in all the, uh, charge of all the prisoners. What would happen if Joseph had given up? What would happen if Joseph had uh, uh, gave, God, uh, gave up on God and decided not to trust him anymore? Tell me what would happen. Do you think he would have been put in command over, over the jail? Do you think that if he had given up whenever the baker and the cupbearer were there and they had dreams, he's like, I don't care about their dreams. I have my own issues. Oh, so what? You woke up with a nightmare. Big whoop. You know how long I've been in here? You know what I'm in here for? So what? Can you imagine if he had given up and said, I don't care about anybody else. I don't even care about God. You know how often I hear that? As a pastor, a lot. Why isn't God listening? Why doesn't he see what I'm going through? Why doesn't he care? And it seems flippant to say, 
Trust God. Don't lose hope. Don't lose the faith. But that's the true answer and statement. God always rewards faithfulness. I've never seen him reward bitterness. Have you ever seen any place where God rewards bitterness and hatefulness? You won't find it. But there are a lot of bitter and hateful Christians out there who have turned inward to focus on their problems and their circumstances rather than turn outward and leaning into God no matter the circumstance. It's easier said than done, I get it. But this is what faith is all about, trusting even when we don't see. Joseph's faithfulness to Pharaoh was rewarded by being placed in second command in Egypt. What if Joseph had given up in the prison? You think he would have gotten an opportunity to be in front of Pharaoh? Like I was saying a minute ago, if he didn't press in and do the good work no matter the circumstances. Our work ethic in our society has gone to the dumpster. Well, if I don't get paid so much money and I don't get off this amount of time and I don't and I don't and I don't and I then I won't. See, Joseph worked his tail off for Potiphar. So much so that Potiphar could trust him to put him in charge of his whole house even the finances of the house. But then Joseph gets trapped by Potiphar's wife, falsely accused of raping her, and is thrown in jail. In jail, he could have groveled and complained that he was there unfairly. You know how many many, uh, innocent people there are in jail? A lot. I say that tongue-in-cheek because I don't think, I mean, I've talked to people in the jail. I'm innocent. I didn't do anything wrong. But he was innocent. And instead of groveling and complaining, he did his best. He did his best work even though he was treated unfairly. How many of you could say that that's your testimony? That you do your best work when you're treated unfairly that you press in to God and you trust him all the more, even when everything in your life is crumbling underneath you and crumbling around you. That you say, God, I still trust you. I don't know what's going on, but I still trust you. I don't know why this is happening, but I still trust you. I mean, let's take a look at the sequence of events. Joseph is blessed among his brothers as being the favorite of his father, but his brothers attack him, sell him into slavery, but God was with him and he was faithful to God in the process. Secondly, Joseph bought by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. He becomes Potiphar's right-hand man 
However, Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him, falsely claims that he tried to rape her. Potiphar throws him in jail, but God was with him and he was faithful to God. Joseph rises to power in prison and is given charge over all the prisoners. However, Joseph asks the cupbearer and the baker to remember him when they get out of prison, but they forget, but God was with him and he was faithful to God. And because of Joseph's patience and faithfulness at just the right time, the cupbearer remembers Joseph and is brought before Pharaoh to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. Now, Joseph is the most powerful man in Egypt with exception to Pharaoh himself. If he had given up at any point in time within that process, that would have never happened. And some of you are this close to giving up. You are within a hair's breadth of throwing in the towel. And yes, life has dealt you bad blow after bad blow after bad blow. But you see, Isaiah tells us there was a guy, this man who's acquainted with our griefs and sorrows. And this is 700 years before Jesus would even come onto the scene. And God, who was with Joseph, decides to take on flesh and dwell among us, John chapter 1. He lives perfectly. There is nothing that could be said against him except things are falsified against him by the religious leaders. Jesus is treated unfairly. He's prisoned unfairly. He's beaten unfairly for crimes he didn't commit. He is nailed to a cross. Talk about unfair. That kind of execution was reserved for the worst of criminals. But what did Jesus do? Nada. Even Pilate, the governor, the Roman governor in the land of Judea, couldn't find any fault with him. But he knew the political problem that existed with the Jewish people. And if he didn't give them blood, they would rise up and there would be riots. And the Roman emperor would not be happy about that and would maybe put Pilate to death. So Pilate throws them a bone and says, fine, go ahead and crucify your Messiah. But I will have nothing to do with it. And he washes his hands clean of Jesus' blood, who he deems an innocent man. You talk about unfair. But you know what he did? He's hanging there for six hours from about noon to six o'clock in the evening on a Friday, groaning in agony, nearly bleeding to death from the beating he got. And he says very few words. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He had faith in you and me. The one whom we should have faith in and trust in unequivocally had faith in you and me. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing.
Do you have faith? Last thing, and I close with this, Joseph's faithfulness to God was rewarded by fruitfulness in the land of his grief. Think about this. If Joseph had given up, first off, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have interpreted the dreams in the prison. He wouldn't have been given the opportunity to stand before Pharaoh to interpret his dreams. Chances are he wouldn't have married and had two kids. Joseph would die before he would come to the, he wouldn't come to the realization, he would die before he would see his two sons become tribes of Israel. Think about that. Manasseh and Ephraim would be heads of state in the new nation that would be the promised land for the Israelites. He knew the story of his great-great-grandfather, Abraham. He knew the promise that was handed down through his lineage. I don't think he could have ever imagined that because of his faithfulness, two of his sons would get to participate in the great promise of God to be tribes of Israel. What do we do with that? Tim Hansel, in his book, Holy Sweat, <laughs> recalls the story of Clarence Jordan. Clarence Jordan was a man of unusual abilities and commitment. He had two PhDs, one in agriculture and one in Greek and Hebrew. And let me tell you, if you have a PhD in Greek and Hebrew, you are a brainiac. So gifted was he that he could have chosen to do anything he wanted to do. He chose, however, to serve the poor. And in the 1940s, he founded a, a farm in Georgia called Americus, or excuse me, he founded a farm in Americus, Georgia called Koinonia Farm. Koinonia means fellowship, by the way. It was a community for poor whites and poor blacks. When was this again? The 1940s. It was a place for poor white people and poor black people to come together in fellowship who had no, not even two nickels to rub together. As you might guess, such an idea didn't go over very well in the deep south in Georgia in the 1940s. Ironically, much of the resistance came from good church people who followed the laws of segregation as much as any other folk in town. What's the law of the land? We've got to follow the laws of the land. That is, unless it con it's contrary to God's word. The town people tried everything they could to stop Clarence from building this farm. They tried boycotting him. They tried slashing the workers' tires when they came into town. Over and over, for 14 years, they tried to stop him. Finally, in 1954, the Ku Klux Klan had enough of Clarence Jordan, so they decided to get rid of him once and for all. They came in one night with guns and torches. They set fire to every building in the Koinonia farm, but Clarence's home, and in, in, in his home, they riddled with gunfire. And they chased off all the families except one black family which refused to leave. Clarence recognized the voices of many of the Klansmen, and as you might guess, some of them were church people. Another was a local newspaper reporter. 
he heard the local newspaper reporter's voice amongst the Klansmen's voices. The next day, that same reporter came out to see what remained of the farm. The rubble still smoldered and the land was scorched, but he found Clarence in the field hoeing and planting. Oh, I heard the awful news, he told Clarence, and I came out to do a story on the tragedy of your farm closing. Clarence just kept on hoeing, he kept on planting as if he didn't even hear him. But the reporter kept on prodding, kept poking, kept trying to get a rise out of this quietly determined man who seemed to be planting instead of packing his bags and leaving town. So finally, the reporter in a haughty voice said, well, Dr. Jordan, you got two of them PhDs and you've but 14 years into this farm and there's nothing at all left of it. Just how successful do you think you've been? Clarence stopped briefly, turned toward the reporter with his penetrating blue eyes and said quietly but firmly, about as successful as a cross, sir. Sir, I don't think you understand us. We're about, what we're about is not success, but faithfulness. We're staying. Good day, sir. And he went back to hoeing and planting. Beginning that day, Clarence and his companions rebuilt Koinonia Farm and it's still going strong today. You can look it up online in America's Georgia. Still doing the work that started in the 1940s. And if he had given up in the face of danger, persecution, America's Georgia Koinonia Farm would have been shut down. If he had given up hope when his family was in danger, Today, how's your faith? How's your faithfulness? As our worship team comes forward to close this out, some of you may, may be on the brink of giving up. I, I ask you, I implore of you, don't give up. Press in, press on, lean into God. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 6, 7 through 9. Paul was shipwrecked. He was bitten by snakes. He was stoned and left for dead outside of a city. He was imprisoned. He was beaten. Most of the New Testament is written by this man who never gave up. A man who knew this as his life first. To live is Christ and to die is gain. He wrote, writes this in Galatians chapter 6. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Are you planning bitterness, unforgiveness, resentfulness, distrust, hatred? What are you planting? Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from a sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So if you don't experience what the world calls success this side of heaven, there is still yet a reward waiting for the faithful, waiting for you beyond the grave. So let's not get tired of doing what's good, he says. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up.
faithfulness, not bitterness, is always rewarded. Jesus says, with the faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. And maybe that's all you got. But maybe that's all you need right now. When people of faith or the world around you is committing suicide at a grand scale, when everybody else on the face of the earth seems to be going, dare I say, the highway to hell, it takes faith to go against the stream. But even the faith of a mustard seed could keep you moving in the right direction. Because eventually, when that mustard seed is watered, cultivated, it grows into a mighty tree, strong, withstanding the winds of change and trouble. Maybe you're struggling in your faith, and you need somebody to pray with you this morning. As I mention every week, we do an altar call. You come to my right, your left. Somebody will pray with you. They will do the best they can to walk with you through whatever trouble you find yourself in or you find yourself facing. If you need to pray alone, you come to my left, your right. Or you could pray in your pew. But there's something about stepping out and stepping forward in a physical way that shores up this sense of I'm moving out of this place where I am into the place where God wants me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your faithfulness to us. We know that you are never unfaithful. I mean, your, your very nature is that you are going to stay strong to fulfill your promises and your covenant. Help us to be faithful. Just like Joseph. When his family rejected him. When he was sold into slavery. When he found himself in jail, falsely accused. Help us to be faithful like him. Actually, help us to be faithful like Jesus. who because of his love for us took our punishment on the cross. Forgive us, Father, for we don't always know what we're doing. Sometimes we do, but sometimes we just find ourselves in a heap of mess without even realizing we've gotten ourselves there. Help us to remember that, God, you love us in spite of our circumstances in spite of our failures but you love us enough to not leave us there thank you Father it's in Jesus name we pray Amen thanks for joining us this week check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's word make sure to visit us on our website www.northmaincog.org where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.